Asia Tech Podcast with Graham Brown and Michael Waits. Michael Waits. Michael Waits. Michael Waits. Hello and welcome to Asia Tech Podcast 470. We are the voice of the Asian tech ecosystem. We are Graham Brown and Michael Waits. Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing super, Graham. How are you doing tonight? Fantastic. We are both in Thailand tonight. We're just in Singapore last week. We've been traveling around the region. Back to Thailand. Got a few days here in Thailand before we go on our respective ways. We've had a busy week and we want to share some of that today because it marks the end of a long year of content creation and getting out there in Asia and discovering, you know, what the best of the Asian tech ecosystem is and what's sort of going on, what works and what doesn't work. We want to share some of those learnings today as we head into 2018. So should we start at the top? Entertainment versus conversation. We want to talk about this. More conversation, less entertainment. Less entertainment, more conversation. That is what the Asian tech ecosystem needs right now. We can come back to that in a minute, but maybe we can start by prefacing that. A bit of news that came out this week, Michael. From yeah, what's that, what's that news? E27. Before we get to that, I want to say something. Too. I think that's really important, but I want to say this. like 2017, not only have we created a ton of content, but we've traveled a lot, right? We were in Fukuoka. We were in Shanghai. We were in Singapore more than once. We've spoken to people in Jakarta, yep. in Hong Kong, um, in Vietnam. Did we miss any place? I don't think we've Tokyo. missed any in Tokyo, like we've been, Shanghai, did we mention Shanghai? I said Shanghai as well. In oh, other words, yeah. and one of the things we've done is we've just learned a lot of stuff. Wow, and you like, can't what, replace that going out and going no way. right. No way. I mean, I spoke to people, and I'm like, "Have you been to Shanghai recently? No. Have you ever been to Fukuoka? No. Right. right. When was the last time you spoke to somebody in Ho Chi Minh about this thing? Never. Right. And we're just seeing a whole, like the amount of stuff we've been able to learn by having proper discussions with people. Right. This gets back to what you were talking about. Well, you know, isn't this it, funny, isn't it? We we live in a digital world, but proper conversations. You know, so much of it really happens in the offline world. Even though we like to think of ourselves as living most of our lives online, human beings really relate to each other offline, don't we? That's where the connection really happens. So this is what we want to get to, isn't it? That as much as this is a tech startup ecosystem, there's so much to be said for getting out there and meeting people in the real world, in the analog world, isn't there? Well, business is just a face-to-face thing. And actually, you just reminded me of something. If you think about the tech startup ecosystem back in 2014, 2015 in Asia, there was a lot of copycatting going on, right? So let's mm. build a photo app. Let's build an e-commerce thing. Let's build the next this thing, whatever it was, right? And now we're just seeing a ton of innovation. And yet in the distribution of news, it doesn't feel to me like we're outside of the copycat phase, right? So if Y Combinator does something, somebody out here does something that's similar. If, you know, if TechCrunch does TechCrunch Disrupt and somebody does something similar, it just doesn't feel like there's a lot of innovation in how that information is is come out. And I think you're right. I think you've hit on it. It feels a lot more like entertainment to mm. me. And entertainment is nice. It's great to be entertained, but it doesn't accomplish much, right? And I think one of the things that we've learned is that ecosystems grow a lot better and a lot stronger if there's actually a conversation taking place. Mm. I guess that's one of the points you were trying to make. Yeah, because that's what it's about, is it's about relationships. And uh, coming back to the news in a minute, I think if you look at 
the tech ecosystems out there in the world. A lot is written about different startup ecosystems, what works, what doesn't. It all comes down to the relationships within those ecosystems. You know, investors want to invest in great companies and meet great founders, and founders want to meet great founders and investors. There's a need, there's, a, there's an information gap, a relationship gap, isn't there, in all of these ecosystems. And the ones that are successful are the ones that have overcome that gap and put these people together. How do they do that? Well, I guess coming back to your point about copycatting, Michael, is that people have looked around and said, well, how do we do that here in Singapore or Bangkok or Ho Chi Minh? Wind the clock back and people have looked at the entertainment offerings out there and people have said, okay, well, this is how they do it here. They do demo days and they do speed dating. We'll talk about a bit more of this in a minute, won't we? But that is sort of how people think that you know, that solution, sorry, how people solve that problem in different parts of the world. But as we've discovered by getting out there, that is suboptimal. So, should we talk right, about so, the news? Yeah, let's you talk wanna, about it. All right. Okay. Cause I, 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 I want to keep going first. So one of the things that startups as a, as a vehicle are meant to do is they're meant to identify problems, find out what the pain points are that are causing those problems, and then come up with solutions to those problems. Is that a fair characterization? Yeah, I think that was widely accepted. Right, so if that's widely accepted, then it argues against copycatting. And if it argues against copycatting, it means that let's take a particular part of an ecosystem. I think, and I'm never sure if it's the top of the funnel or the bottom of the funnel because I think a lot of the nomenclature that gets that gets developed around individual sort of ecosystems is kind of silly. But let's just say for our sake that the top of the ecosystem, right, the top of the funnel is really about that beginning investment period. How do I take a great idea and get that experiment funded? We talked about this a lot, seed investing, angel investing. That's really where all of this starts. And it's also discovery, right? So how do you fix that discovery problem? This is a pain point and this is a problem. So if you look at it from a startup perspective, What's the best way to solve it? So now let's talk about this news. What was the news you wanted to bring up? Okay, so this is from E27. Okay. Right? So probably Pioneers, one, by the way, yeah? Yeah, exactly. So this this is, you know, one of the, the leading news websites for Asia and particularly for tech in Asia. Um, no pun there intended. Which is funny. Which is funny yeah. where that comes out. Exactly. I think that's on purpose. Private joke. So... Yeah. Anyway, this is uh, news from first week in December 2017. It says, from Korea to Kazakhstan, E27 will search 23 countries to find top 100 startups. Now, when you read that headline, you think, wow, this sounds great. E27 is out there. They're going to identify the best 100 startups. And by doing that, they will give angel investors you know, great material to work with and they will give founders great role models to follow and, and to learn from. So that sounds all very well and good. So E27 is, you know, out there trying to create some kind of connectivity in the industry, trying to professionalize the industry and, and make it easier to connect all those stakeholders within the ecosystem. However, how do they do this? Do, do you want to dive in and talk about how they do this? Because you, you've got more knowledge of Echelon. You've attended Echelon summits and so on. Um, do you want to nail your colors to the mast or do you want to? Yeah, I do actually. And I think this is just diplomatic. <laughs> it's not how we do things here, is it? Not really. So, all right. Um, so we talk about how, what they're actually doing and how, yes. Yeah, so and I think it's a metaphor for the way the rest of the industry works in Asia. Right. And that is, 
you get as many people as a room in in a room as as you possibly can and you sell tickets to it okay right. and there's a stage and at that stage you have people get up on stage and speak for 3 minutes 5 minutes 10 minutes pick your period of time and then they win something yeah now this sounds less and less like a substantive conversation to me and more and more like the dating game yeah. which was you know something that came up in the 60s chuck barris was really good at this it's just creating great entertainment for people that are there but in the end those dates actually never really ended up that good they used to have this thing where they'd say like oh my god you know one couple in the last six months got married just had a baby whatever and that would be the outlier i think and i think Ooh. it's the same thing frankly at these pitching competitions but the idea is you go to a bunch of cities, you have a pitching competition, and that pitching competition is, in my mind, right, suboptimal for many reasons, not the least of which is there's not enough time. You don't control your own technology, so when you're making a presentation, you know, something can go wrong. And, and that does. may not be your – and it does inevitably go wrong, right? And that's not your fault, but – the judges will sort of take it out on you because that's very entertaining to say, look, Bill was not even good enough to get his laptop to work, so how can he be a great founder? <laughs> it's just It just seems all wrong to me. Um, <clears throat> how, how do you think the Google boys would have done if they stood up and did that presentation? Because they're not, they're not – they've had a lot of PR training, right? Um, well, just even, could you imagine Mark Zuckerberg doing a pitch competition, <laughs> just like fumbling through his stuff, wearing really, a hooded sweatshirt and just like looking like a rumpled – you know, I don't know, college student. But but even Sergey Brin, you know, and those guys like just standing up in front of people is hard. It's hard to do. But I don't think that necessarily makes you a great business person or a great yeah. founder. Yeah. But more than that, like all the restrictions that are placed on people in that type of environment, and whether it's a pitch competition or speed dating or anything, I just think that's suboptimal for a way to figure out if your goal is to have a conversation. And to educate people about what the best startups are, if that's what you're really trying to do, if that's what you're really trying to find out, it doesn't matter what your organization is. In my mind, right? And I'm, you can, people can argue with me if they want. You know, put it, you know, post it, send us commentary. I'm, I'm indifferent. But the right way to do that is to have a more substantive conversation. I think one of the things that we've learned during all our travels is, particularly when we talk to the startups, but even when we talk to, you know, angel investors as well. They want to have a longer conversation. Mm. They don't. They don't understand like why a pitch competition is five minutes long or seven minutes long. They don't have a conversation with anybody else in their life where, in the middle of that conversation, a buzzer goes off. That's yeah. just not the way the world works, isn't that something that we talked about? So you have to ask yourself: Is are you building an entertainment company? Are you out there to entertain people, or are you out there to have a conversation and actually learn something? Mm. Do you want to make great investments or do you just want to make great entertainment? Great TV, and, yeah. Or great television, right? Which is, you know, we haven't talked about it either, but that's one of the reasons why I think Shark Tank is just a really terrible way. It's great entertainment if you like it. I don't right. frankly like that kind of entertainment because – That's not I how the world works, right? You, you, you mentioned no. it already. That's the key, isn't it? It's not how the world works. It's not a, it's not a reflective, uh, you know, a model of what – they're trying to portray how people invest and present in companies, but that's not how the world works. Right. So one, that's one of the things that I think that we've learned over time is that the more people to whom we speak, the more yeah. those sort of really serious investors and serious startup players feel like, 
I wish I had more time. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? You made a really good point about dating. And let's put this in the context of dating, that if you invest in a company as an angel investor, which is going to be a little bit different to uh, those investing at the institutional round, a larger round, right. because it, it's at that round, it's less personal. Whereas an angel, it's more personal. They get to know the founders. They're part of the team. They have a relationship. You know, there's there's a lot of emotion involved in, you know, whereas somebody's a partner within, you know, maybe a, a general partner within a fund, they're more employees rather than using their own money, aren't they? So the yeah. point about what I'm saying about the angel and, and the founder is it, it's like a marriage in a way. They spend a lot of time together. They'll talk about things. Sure. They'll, they'll, they'll discover all the issues in their private life. That'll all come up. Yep. And the same with founders as well. Founders and founders, two founders working together. That's like a marriage. So to your point about the dating game, go back to that. Wouldn't it be interesting to go back and say, how effective was that format in creating lifelong relationships as marriages or partnerships, whatever it was, probably very low, you know, probably less than randomly walking up to people in the street and saying, hey, let's get married. That's not nice. a very effective strategy. All that horrible speed dating that we're starting to see in the investment community what do people really want like you say people want to have substantive conversations like if you want to date a man or a woman you want to have a conversation you want to go out to dinner and talk and you know over a coffee and really get deep down and learn about this person right i mean let's just make an equivalency to like the way as we said earlier the way the real world works right so let's look at a let's look at a regular event there are 2,000 people there. Now, the people to whom I've spoken, whether they're investors that are serious about investing money in companies about which they don't know yet, or companies that are seriously looking for investment from investors that they have not met yet, they've all told me that all of their meetings are set up before the event starts. Right. So the real... so. Some of these events, whether it's right, whoever it is, right, will say, well, five companies got funded at event X. You know, whether it's one of the satellite events that's happening for the C27 thing to find the top 100 or at the final top 100 pitching thing. They'll say, you know, we were told that, you know, of the 100 companies that were here, five companies got funded. But what you don't know is that they were kind of funded off piste, right, because – and for those people that don't ski, I mean, most people ski, so you'll know what that means, right? But those companies were funded kind of outside of the sandbox because they had agreed, the investors were like, look, we're going to be in town anyway. Why don't we meet you? We've been thinking about meeting you. And, and the companies were like, okay, it's great. You're coming into town. Hmm. Let's meet. But they meet separate to the event, right? It's just that everybody's in town. So in that sense, that's okay. Let's talk about what the raison d'etre is for these events. You have 2,000 people in a room. Um, most of the people that participate in the speed dating, if you go and sit there, and I've done this on a few occasions, it's not a decision maker from the investment company as well. So you have a very serious startup company who's talking to somebody who can't make an investment decision, and then they only have like five minutes to look at it. Mm -hmm. Think about this in the context of the real world, right? So let's say you want to date somebody or you want to do a business deal with somebody, but they send their most junior person to you. And then they say to you, look, I've got six meetings today. You only have four minutes to tell me about it. Go. <laughs> now, you know beforehand that you only had four or five minutes, whatever it was. But how can they make a real business decision in those four minutes? They can't even assess your personality properly. Right. And no investor would ever 
make an investment on four emotionally they may be in at four or five minutes but they would do their due diligence through that conversation right right but there's there's a bigger issue here right that no one's raised ever nobody has ever talked about it in reverse well think about it who arranges the pitching competition so who has the leverage when you're sitting down for a five minute pitch Mm. it's the investor right yeah right so I, I think this should happen in reverse at some level. In other words, the startup companies should just say, look, I'm available from 7 o'clock in the morning until 7 o'clock at night. Um, if an investor wants to meet me, they can sign up, but I don't have to agree to meet them. Because it happens in reverse, right? And the investors will tell you, well, we have we have the money to invest. But I think the reality is that if you're investing in a great company, right, you want to meet the best founders. The founders actually have something way more valuable than your money. But you see what I mean? In other words, what if what if an investor came to a startup and said, look, I'd like to spend the next hour and a half with you learning more about your business. And you said, I only got four minutes for you, five minutes for you. Give me your three <laughs> best. Give me your three best questions. Yeah. And I only have time because I'm only allocating five minutes to you. Go. Yeah. Nobody would do that, right? So I want to create this equivalency of like it's really besides the fact that it's super that it's super inefficient. It's also really unbalanced. The idea is that, because think about it. Let's say you went on a date. Think about this in the context of a real date, right? And you said, okay, I want to have, I want to go on a date with this person. And that person was like, that's fine. I'll consider going on a date with you, but let me send uh, my cousin Mm -hmm. to talk to you for five minutes. And they're going to ask you some questions about what the date's going to be, where we're going to go, where we're going to meet, when it's going to happen. And then my cousin will come back and give me some feedback. But on that day, my cousin's also going to meet six other people that want to date me. But you only have five minutes. Like, no one would live their life that way. We talked about this off the phone. Have you ever had a coffee with somebody for three minutes? Yeah, exactly. Like, think about your one of your friends from university, right? They're like, hey, Graham, I'm going to be in Tokyo um, in December. I want to have a three-minute coffee with you. I can't imagine what could be achieved in three minutes. I mean, I think I think we what just think could, about how silly that is. Exactly. I think what could be. I mean, interestingly, on the human level, what could be achieved in three minutes? Either a founder meeting of an investor, an investor meeting a founder, is they could work out whether or not they like each other. Barely. Right. You could get that sort of. They've first never impression. met each other. First They've impression. never met each other. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry. But, you know, that doesn't mean anything in the context of making the investment because it then, okay, I might like you, but how the hell do I know if you're a good investor or a good founder, right? That, that's a different matter. You know, I could go on the real estate. I could go and see a real estate investment, sure. walk up there, and the, the guy who owns the house is a really nice guy. It doesn't mean that the house is a great investment, right? Yeah, so what? So this is, we talked about this, right? We were in Singapore. Let's say you, you're, you're an experienced real estate investor. Let's say you're thinking about buying, you know, a complex, um, mixed use building. And someone says, you're sure I'll show you the building. It's across the street. You got five minutes to look at it. Um, go. And then you're in the middle of your question. So like, a buzzer goes off. Like, okay, next, some (laughs) other guy's going to come look at this business. Like, get out. Yeah. You know what? I mean, I'm an experienced investor in that context and, under that kind of pressure, I would feel extremely uncomfortable. If I knew I had four minutes and I just had to do that, my brain wouldn't be thinking about all the right things. You know, I wouldn't be taking in the detail that I need to be taking in. And you've got to pay attention to the detail because some things are said and not said and it missed, you know, 
did you did you notice that there wasn't any white goods in the kitchen all those kind of things you'd miss all that stuff if you're walking around and assessing property did you notice there's a big crack in the you know the foundations of the the properties all those kind of things so i can imagine that as an investor the same thing you know four minutes or as a pitching on stage these pitch competitions which seems to be like the the thing now in these events right so let's go back to how to make a real investment so let's think about some great companies Uber's a great company. You can argue whether you like their internal policies, and we've been through this a hundred times already, but Uber's a big company. It's been very successful. And when I say successful, I don't just mean it's raised a lot of money. Everybody you know has been in an Uber. Mm. Everybody. Even you. Even <laughs> me now. Even you now. That's a, that's a different story. But you know what I mean? In other words, like I, we were in Singapore, and you and I never got into a taxi. We just yeah. pumped up an Uber and then went from here to there, and the drivers were great, and the cars Love were it. fabulous. Love it. Okay? I was um, getting in taxis just for the sake of getting in Ubers. Right, exactly. That's how good that um, business is. So anyway, I detract. But if you go back and think about how that company was originally founded, right? Like Travis Kalanick did not go to a pitching competition. He sat yeah. In, a, yeah. in somebody's house and had dinner. And talked about his business. And there were 11 angel investors sitting around a table having a substantive conversation, you know, in a relaxed environment with no time limit. And they got their investment. That's how they, they were seed invested. Now, it doesn't mean that all of the original investors were at that dinner. Mm. But that's how people make real investments in real companies. And that's just so different from what we see today and it's not just in asia the, a lot of this happens in the rest of the world as well but it's this copycatting of you know the more and there's some view as well like the more we see the more we'll know and like the better we can weed it down and at some level there's an optimal amount in every sort of environment there's a statistically optimal amount of companies and things you can see to determine what the best is and what the worst is mm -hmm. but if the methodology around that selection process is suboptimal itself. It doesn't matter how many counterparties you see or how many potential investments you see. If the process you're using is suboptimal, and I think it is, people can argue with me, um, then the entire process itself has to be suboptimal. But this gets back to what we were talking about before. Are you trying to entertain me or are you trying to have a conversation with me? Well, let's, let's, let's draw an analogy as well to the music industry because this is interesting that the music yeah. industry has undergone a lot of this transformation that there is this focus on what is the equivalence of pitch competitions and you've got all these kind of X factors and pop idol formats which have effectively a format that was just copycatted around the world in different countries. You know, and it was great entertainment. People talked about it. But did it produce any stars did it produce any great investments you know if you had to back the people in the music industry today you know would you back any of the people that went through that process and and to be fair the people that went through that process had a lot more exposure than even the people doing the pitch competitions in startup events right because you know they had yes. a lot of the video the backstories and stuff like that and they had a lot more of that but you know if you look at the the top selling artists in in 2017 none of them came from a pitch competition you've got ed sheeran rag and bone man drake none of these came from right that process so you know why do we think that can work in the startup industry 
you can't. And you're, you're completely right. And you can take that a step further and say there's open mic night, right, at comedy clubs. Right. That's very entertaining because you can heckle people, which is – and if you think about heckling, that's kind of what like the five judges do at a pitching competition. They're just incentivized. They have an incentive, excuse me, to to kind of heckle the founders. It's not as bad, but sometimes it feels as bad. Um, and in the same way, like it's very unlikely that it, – it's unlikely, statistically unlikely that you're going to find the best comedian in a three-minute thing mm. or a great musician – you know, in a three-minute competition, I don't know. Even look at like America's Got Talent. Like, who's come out of there? It's just weird that like that seems to be great entertainment, but very poor as the selection process. Right. So the question really is right because I think everybody's trying to do the same thing, and I think there are better ways to do it. So how do you? How the do whole idea, right? The whole idea is how do you make the earliest stages of investment more professional? Hmm. What does right. professional mean, though? Well, professional means, um, like, again, let's go back to real estate for a second. You want to you want to build a house, right? You want to build, let's say, a two hundred and fifty or three hundred square meter house. It's not small, it's not huge, but you know, it's going to cost you a decent amount of money. And it's going to require you to do some engineering and some architectural design, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to have the best possible architect you can find to do that. So you may actually go to three or four architects, have them do some sort of summary drawings for you, and then send them to you and make comparisons to them. But it's a thoughtful process, hmm. and I think it takes time. So I think to do the same thing in sort of the angel investment or the seed investment community I think is really important. What does that mean? I think it means you have to have... In almost all cases, I think the step one is just having thoughtful partners, right? Because we've talked about this, right? Nobody succeeds alone. Mm. And having thoughtful partners ends up being really important. But also having partners with a long view is really important too. Right? Because one of the problems with a pitch competition, right, or any event like that, or like what are the concerns there? One is it's very time-specific, and it's location specific, right? So if you're not there on that day, and if you're not in that location, even if you're available on that day, you're going to miss out on that thing, mm. right? This, the third thing is it can be quite expensive sometimes to go to those pitch competitions. And yet, just like everything else, if you're senior enough or famous enough, or whatever, you get a discount. So it's just there are so many restrictions around who can participate. And even if you planned on participating – what if something happened that day? You know, yeah. what if your flight, what if you decided you were going to fly in that morning for that event and your flight was delayed? I know well, it's an edge condition, but like, what do you do? How do you, like, but it happens, you, right? It does happen. And not just in before the event. I don't know if we can mention this, but I won't name names, but I know you go to a lot of demo days. You mentioned once being in a demo day where one of the investors, actually, during, yeah, yeah, during, during yeah. the actual pitch, one of the investors who was already earmarked as a potential investor in that company during that pitch went out of the room and took a phone call and yeah. come back in. He spoke to him later and he said, Oh, I didn't see the pitch. I mean, right. That was I like four minutes of his life in that four minutes. He took a phone call and missed the most important thing for that founder, but that will never happen again. Now it's lost. It's, it is lost. And remember as well, like that phone call actually could have been quite important for that person. Right. I'm not going to make light of the fact that, like, you know, 
maybe something happened at school with his child. Or maybe something happened in his, to his family in another country. Like, you don't know. And that's actually okay. The point is, though, is that if you create a situation where the time and the, like, the location is so important and it only happens at, at one time, this is not, like, again, this is not the way the world works for anything. Mm. Right? Because, again, this is not the World Series. This is not, like, the World Cup where, like, the game is scheduled at noon. If you're not there at noon, it doesn't happen. Right. This is seed and angel style investing. And yeah, I get it. You know, the faster you move, all that kind of stuff. Sure. I'll give you that to a certain extent. But again, the only thing that they were going to see was a five minute pitch. Who knows what else could have gone wrong that day? But I think you need to professionalize that by one, having partners that actually have a longer term view. And I think the other thing is you need to create, excuse me, you need to create better connectivity. What does that mean? It means particularly in – so in the United States, right, you have sort of 50 or 48 contiguous states. The markets are very, very similar in the entire region if you want to call the U.S. a region. And it means that if you start a, Boston, a business in Boston, it's likely it's going to work in California as well. Sure, the states have different regulations and stuff, but overall, I think that's a fair statement. But here in Asia, whether it's in Southeast Asia or in Japan, Australia, wherever it is, the rules and regulations and cultures and things are going to be completely different. And it just takes more thoughtfulness to figure out what the right investments are going to be. Right. Um, and I think that's the second thing you have to think of is, you know, not just who are those partners are going to be, not just what the time constraints are going to be, um, but how different are the markets as well. And because of that, you need to create the connectivity between what's happening in Indonesia and Vietnam, what's happening in Vietnam and Singapore, what's happening in Singapore and, you know, the Philippines. All those things need to happen. And how does that take place? Right, Because you can have all these satellite events, and I've been at all of them, not all of them, but I've been at a lot of them. But then you have this question of, you know, is the are the people that are coming out of this country or this city, remember, it's only in a city, right? So if you do an event... In Manila, what happens to all the companies that are based in Cebu, which is also a pretty good tech hub? But if you do it in Bangkok, what about all the people that are in Phuket that are part of that ecosystem or the people that are in Chiang Mai? They've got to fly down. Yeah. And the same thing, Indonesia is a big country. So how do you how do you make the connectivity there? That's a really that's a really important question. And the other thing, too, is if you believe that the top of the funnel is angel investing. How do you teach the angels? Because, out again, in a region where the angel investment community is nascent, and this is something we should spend some more time talking about, how do you kind of standardize what they're doing across the region? In other words, if an angel investor, I'm picking a place, right, with no particular agenda, in Jakarta thinks, you know, I put down my $250,000, I want 70% of this company, that's going to hinder the growth of that. And if the and if the startup founder agrees with it because they don't know what a term sheet is or how all that stuff works, you're going to get a really bad outcome. Mm-hmm. And I know, and I was having discussions when I was in Singapore, actually, there are some very famous companies out there that have been funded really nicely and have seen really good growth, and yet their cap tables are, are a complete mess. Yeah. And what that means is that the fa- besides being a mess, meaning having too many investors and having like not the same class of shares across the board because nobody was educated 
on either side of the table about what a real investment should look like. It also means that the founders own so little equity after just a Series A or Series B round that their incentives are not aligned with their investors, either their existing investors or their potentially new investors. But they're definitely not aligned with their older investors, right? Hmm. So this problem of education, I think, ends up being really important. How do you professionalize the entire environment by also educating people about what making an investment is at an early stage? So what we're talking about here is what we've learned from this year, 2017, of going out into these markets, talking to people, understanding what the pain points are. And, you know, you, to a certain extent, you can read this stuff online, but going out there and actually talking to people and people open up and you, you have a conversation with people, you know, they're a bit more honest about their frustrations, what's working, what isn't working. We get to learn this stuff. And everything you said now, like what the industry needs, the professionalization, the education, we're learning that the entertainment way of doing this doesn't work. No, that's key, right? We're lear- yeah, exactly. We're learning that that solution or that proposed solution is ineffective. And it, it's really solving another problem, which is how do we entertain people rather than how do we solve the problems of the startup ecosystem in Asia, the challenges, if you like, which, you know, entertainment isn't one of them, right? So right. How do we do this? Because, you know, we had this conversation recently. We were in Singapore. We had a lot of great meetings come out of that. Um, we were in Bangkok as well recently. We looked at the, you know, that year of travel and really trying to summarize what we've learned from talking to people, you know, and over 150 conversations with our podcasts, with the roundtables, etc. And these are, you know, these are substantive conversations, you know, mm. hour long mm. conversations, right? So there's there's plenty of content there. There's plenty of learning people from different backgrounds and so on. So we've looked at the the broken solution. Now we want to put forward our solution. Like what can we do, you know, as a podcast, as a media company in Asia, as a connector? How can we do a better job at this of creating connectivity, creating knowledge share and networking in Asian tech startup ecosystems than the broken solution out there? How do we right, create so, a better conversation? Right. So I want to I want to slow down for a second because I think if I heard you correctly, you've used two words that I think are really important. Right. That knowledge share. I think is is something that's going to end up being really really important. Yeah. How do you get knowledge to people? And what was the second word you used? Networking. Networking. So it's just, this is what I talked about with connectivity. So this knowledge share and networking, right, is not something that we can gloss over quickly. I think it's really important. And I think, and and you talked about it in the context of media. So there was a feeling in the world over the past sort of two or three years, right, with the, excuse me, with the rise of things like BuzzFeed. Mm. This is going to be the future of media. It's going to be all AI based. It's going to be really fast paced, three minutes you know, snippets of things that are just going to happen really quickly and then people are going to, because people can't focus any longer. It turns out um, BuzzFeed announced last week that it is laying people off, restructuring its business team and trying to figure out how to make money because they couldn't make any money doing what they were doing. Wow. Okay, but this is really important because this was, you know, the, the kind of poster child for new media and yet 
if I had said to you at the beginning of 2017 that by the end of the year, BuzzFeed would be laying off people, you would have told me I was crazy. This is another stock you'd want to short, right? And the Huffington Post is doing the same thing. There was a whole bunch of like tech layoffs in, in what I'm calling the entertainment space, right? Not in the new space because, you know, BuzzFeed as well, there wasn't a lot to learn there, but there was, you could definitely, you know, have listicles and get entertained, I guess, if that's something that's, well, yeah, yeah. I think you're fair enough. It's fair to say that. It it's is, not a conversation, like, that, right? It's not a conversation. No, it's not. And there's no way to learn around that, right? So again, if you just get back to like what the power of media can be to create knowledge share and to create networking, here's my view on this. Um, and and pick the vertical, but we've been talking about investing, so let's figure out a way that we can get away from entertainment and get more into a conversation. Okay, so let's say you have people gathered in a room that are talking about a specific issue, whether it's topical meaning and timely, meaning that week, or just something that people don't know about. Like, wouldn't you rather hear people if you're, let's say you're an angel investor or you're a startup founder, but you can't get to that event where people are talking about like term sheets, mm. like I, I think I think there's a way to sort of disintermediate that by saying, you know, there's going to be a place where you can listen to a conversation of the smartest people you know addressing these issues, whether it's offline where it can happen as well. We we do know people that are going to do that, but online too, and you know the term sheet itself, like things like tag along, drag along, right. Dilution. Most people you talk about getting diluted, pre-money, post-money, like all these all these terms. A lot of people have no idea what they mean. And I sit in a room with investors and startup founders all the time. And even if the startup founders are technically really strong and building a great business, you know, that investor says to them, you know, do I get tag along rights? Should I be on the advisory board or should I be on the board of directors? Most founders have no idea what any of that stuff means. And frankly, they don't care, even though they should care, right? Um, I think I think I walked past a sign in Sing- when we were in Singapore, right, at one of the co-working spaces, and it said 10% of startups fail because of legal issues that they didn't understand. Correct, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, all of these things people need to learn about. And you can do it offline, you can do it online. But I think what media gives you the ability to do, if the people are creating substantive media, is it eliminates the problems you have around time because you can listen to them wherever you want. It's like TiVo, right? TiVo solved these problems. TiVo said, you want to watch an hour-long drama, but you can't sit down at 8 o'clock on a Thursday night? No Mm. problem. We'll tape it for you. We'll remove the commercials from it or whatever you want. You know, we'll leave them in. It doesn't matter to us. And then whenever it's appropriate for you to watch or to listen to it, you can do that. And I think that what we've done over what we've learned actually over the past year and what we've done as well is we've created a platform for people to be able to talk about things that are important in a format that's, um, you know, short enough to listen to but long enough to learn something. Mm. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And not the BuzzFeed model, which is, we're discovering, doesn't work in the startup world, doesn't work in the BuzzFeed world even, right? It's like a, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you talked about having these deep conversations. That's what's needed to to learn and to build relationships and to share knowledge. 
and you put it in the context of the real world, how people behave. You know, if somebody came to you, like a, let's say a nutritionist and said, oh, okay, right. I, I see you have a, an issue with your weight. Um, let's try a few things. I want you to stop eating um, your regular meals and I want you to replace it with snacks. Could you imagine what that's going to, that, that's, that's the same effect, isn't it? Is replace this sort of substantive information, this substantive meal with these tiny little snacks. Cause that's right, going to help like, you. And you, you know what happens then? I mean, okay, I was just snacking here, snacking here. And you know, within weeks you're, you've ballooned overweight, but that's kind of like the Buzzfeed model, isn't it? It doesn't do you any good. And that's entertainment. It solves a very short term addictive, I suppose, need isn't it rather than something which is more holistic and long-term and is beneficial to you which is to have a conversation right i don't know if i've gone off off piste as you like to say with that but that's kind of of see it i mean i I, i'm railing like most people against that sort of buzzfeed model yeah and it's it's good for someone you know for people like we are who don't think that that's going to work over time it's not sustainable i mean one of the other words that we like to use and it comes up in conversation a lot is fatigue People get tired of like the three-minute chef, and I see this a lot, right? So cooking is the same thing. Nobody learns how to cook in three minutes. Mm. It's just not possible. Maybe you can get interested in three minutes, maybe, but like I don't think your brain can focus for for that period of time at that speed. It's like people listen to podcasts at two times speed. Yeah. I always say to them, "Why? what did you learn? Like I can't. I don't want to listen to somebody talk at two times speed. Why would I want to listen to a radio show or watch a movie or any type of, you know, spoken word at two times speed? It doesn't make any sense to me. They're doing something wrong, right? I mean, they're doing something completely wrong. Look, I understand there's, you know, there are some podcast players out there. Okay. Overcast. It eliminates gaps, right? So in all the places where, like what I just did, where I took a breath or you pause or something, it'll remove those. It's called smart speed. It's a great invention, actually. But what most people are doing for BuzzFeed and things like that, that's not smart speed. That's dumb speed. And that dumbness is in the sense that they give you three minutes to try to learn something. It'll take three hours to figure out. Well, yeah. Right? So think about this. Think about taking your car into a mechanic and going, you got five minutes to fix it. Yeah. And then I got to get and then I got to get back on the highway. So in every other part of your life, this model doesn't work. It doesn't right. lead to the right level of connectivity, so connections and networking that we think is important. And it doesn't lead to any extra knowledge. And I think in that case, a lot of bad investment decisions get made. So what do you want to do? I think what you want to do is you want to go back to the top of that funnel and say, let's not just educate people about the right way to invest, which I think is, all, is very important. That's one part of the step. One part of the process. The next part of the process, though, is to network all those people together. I would venture to guess that a real angel... So the venture capitalists in Jakarta probably know the venture capitalists in Singapore, Hmm. right? But my guess would be... But by the time that an investment gets to a place where a venture capitalist would want to invest, unless it's a micro-investment, right? Series A, Series B. Those companies are already relatively well-known. This is something we talked about almost a year ago and they have sort of kpis and metrics in place that are easily measurable but an angel investor is not looking at metrics and it's not looking at statistics it's more of an art than a science that's something that peter kemps from sequoia said last friday when i was at the marudi office and i agree with him completely all the scientific things that you want to measure for a series a or series b may or may not exist but most likely don't when you're talking about seed or early stage investing 
But what that means then is then you want to have a mechanism for connecting not just the startups to seed and early stage investors, the angel investors, but you want to have those angel investors be connected to each other because in most cases they're not institutions. They're individuals or groups of individuals or clubs of individuals and all they get is the same feedback from each other. But what they really need is they need someone to sit in the middle and say, here's a place where you can hear a, like a thoughtful, you know, well-produced conversation in your realm, right? So from other angel investors and then also have proper startup companies give them a longer form way to listen to what they're doing so they don't have to fly from Jakarta to Manila to figure that out. Right? And a lot of investors across the spectrum, but even at the angel stage, say I'll only invest in companies in my country or in my city. Right. So it's unlikely that a Bangkok based angel investor is going to invest in anything outside of Thailand, for sure. But it's also less likely that they'll invest in anything outside of Bangkok. Hmm. Which is the same thing that's true for a Chiang Mai investor. It's the same thing true for a Konkan investor or, or a Phuket investor. They're much more likely to invest in things, you know, around their neighborhood than they are to invest outside. And it's just re it's restrictive across the board because it means that the startups aren't meeting the best investors. This gets back to what we were talking about before, and that the investors aren't meeting the best startups, and that's suboptimal. And the best way to do this, in my mind, I interrupted you, but I'll, I'll let you get to that in a second, is to create a platform where it's digitized and people can go and listen to it. So, because the biggest problem, right, is that the only thing that's happening right now is people are trying to, and just like in the like Web 1.0 time frame, right, everyone just took an offline business, put it online, and gave it a website and said, okay, now it's digital and modern. It's not. And if you just take a pitch competition and film it, so the same thing, and I watched one of the companies, um, you know, based in Asia, at an angel investor summit actually in California, pitch, and it was terrible. They had seven minutes, I believe it was, to pitch, and the buzzer went off. They got asked a bunch of questions about Asia from people that had no idea what they were talking about. Like all of the problems, all they did was film an offline event. There was no concept of like what it should really look like. This is the same thing as early e-commerce, right? So take an old business, put it online. Don't don't innovate. Don't have search. Don't have any of the things that are necessary. Don't make any recommendations. No recommendation and no algorithms. Nothing. It didn't modernize the business. It just switched its venue. And it's the same thing that people are doing for these pitches. They're just taking a seven minute pitch competition, which is suboptimal to begin with, and they're filming it. Mm. Yucky. Sorry. It's a better way to do it. Well, let's talk about that. What is the better way? What do we have in mind? Because let's so go. The thing, the thing we have in mind. Sorry, go ahead. Well, what I want to say, I think it's important to remember that you know what you're talking about is this is what's broken in the industry, and the industry being the the Asian tech ecosystem. What's broken is that connectivity, whether it's the knowledge share or the networking, bringing people together. And here's what's interesting: that is what media should be doing, because you know. Right. Look at the word media itself. The etymology it of the, it means between. It means between, right, between two people, right? right? So media should be bringing two people together in, in whatever form, creating a conversation between two people. It shouldn't be one way and it shouldn't be entertainment for the sake of the, the startup tech the startup ecosystem here in Asia. It should be a conversation between two people. So bear right. that in mind. You know, the media in the tech startup space here 
their goal, their role should be to bring people together and have a conversation in whatever format that is, whether it's a podcast, video, or written format. Obviously, some are better than the others, but that should be the goal. It shouldn't be a press release. It shouldn't be, you know, reformatting a press release because how does that create a conversation apart from why are you writing this on this blog, right? It doesn't make any sense. So that, with that in mind, how do we fix that broken, you know, that broken solution in the startup ecosystem? How do we create that conversation between people? Well, I think, again, I think what you do is you allocate enough time. You get introduced to the best startups and the best investors. And I think you just have an ongoing conversation with them. And that ongoing conversation could be a one-on-one conversation, a face-to-face conversation where you sit with an investor and say, what are you really looking for when you're trying to find an early stage, an early stage investment? What have you learned along the way? If you've made 20, 22 investments, what have you learned? Were your first two investments your best or your worst? And you have a long conversation with them. Why did you invest in them? Are you sector specific or, or are you structurally specific? How, when an investor, when a particular startup finds you and wants to talk to you, is it worth your time if they're out of your sector or out of your sort of specialist space? How would they know that? Do you get bombarded with requests for yourself? So what you do is you sit down with them and you have a conversation, you create a profile for them, you let people know who they are in their own words, I think is the best way to do it. And we've seen this happen for other things. Like Mm. a lot of the conversations that we've had over time have led to other people contacting those people and building a relationship with them. And I think personally that's the best way to do it. And what's really interesting to me as well is that the people who say that, you know, an hour long conversation or a 45 minute conversation is just too long. Mm. I think it's more a commentary on them than a commentary on what the right way to make an investment is because what they're saying is I don't want to listen to it right I don't want to have a relationship here that's the I don't want to no I, and I'm smarter I can have I can figure right. this out in 15 minutes or in 10 minutes but the other thing is for other for people that are doing what we talked about earlier that are just saying I, I want to structure this so that it's a 10 minute conversation all they're saying is they want to entertain people and that's fine yeah, yeah. right but I think the right way to do it is to have like a 45 minute conversation you break that up into pieces if people want to listen to it over different days or different you know moments in their life that's fine but I think you have to build a relationship with that person when you're talking to them, which I feel like we do pretty well. And then I think you just make those things freely available for people to listen to or to watch. That, that I think, is a really good solution to it. And the other thing I think you do is is I think you make the time and take the time to travel from city yeah. to city, region to region, inter-region, extra-region, and you meet the best people and you talk to them there face-to-face. And basically what you're doing is you're doing the business development work. Because if you ask a real venture capitalist or a real investor, like, how did you make your best investment? What they'll really say over and over and over again, right? And let's just talk about, you know, some of the fame. I'm going to name names. I know you don't like when I do this sometimes. But like when Jason Calacanis invested in Uber, he had known Travis Calacanis already. It was his third or fourth startup. And, you know, these great angel investors globally, not just regionally, always say, I'm investing in a person. As a matter of fact, they say, I'm investing in all the future income streams that that person's going to generate. Mm. And the only way to do that, I think, is one-to-one. Yeah. And it's a relationship right. built over time, isn't it? It's not in seven minutes. Exactly. No, exactly. And some of the greatest, and let's be fair, right? So some of the greatest conversations that we've done over the past year, you know this really well, we're not, and, and this is not true completely, but we're, we're built after 
talking to people for a two or three month period of time, getting them comfortable, and then saying, why don't you talk to us on the record? Hmm. So it looks like something that happened overnight. We talk about this a lot too. There's no such thing as sort of an overnight result. I don't want to say success, right? Because we're not talking about that. But it takes time to build that relationship. Hmm. It takes time to get somebody comfortable with you. Just like on a date. No, nobody, nobody gets married like on their first date. And if they do, it normally doesn't end well. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's building that relationship. So I think what you do is you build that relationship over time. You have a face-to-face conversation. And you share that. Startups, you know, startup founders as well are very happy to share their experiences, their thoughts about their company, their vision for where their companies are going to go. They're super happy to do it. Sometimes they need a one-on-one conversation to do it because they're not comfortable standing in front of 5,000 people. And that doesn't disqualify them as a great business builder. Exactly. Right? I mean, sorry, even even going back to the heyday, right? So Bill Gates was never really great with, like, carbon-based life forms. You know, he didn't get along well with other people, but he built a great company. Exactly. W- would you invest in Microsoft? Hell yeah. You know, even even now, you know, with all their changes, there's still a great investment. Even with Bill Gates gone, you know, they're still producing returns. You know, it just goes to show, doesn't it? Seven minutes doesn't necessarily suit everybody, and I think it suits a certain type of person who's not necessarily the best investment you know some people do very well at that format doesn't mean they're great founders yeah so that's again that's what we want to do and we've been talking about this for a year and i think it's really important we want to continue to build that platform where people can have an opportunity either one-on-one or in a very small group to be able to explain like what the growth and what the vision is for their companies but also on the flip side for investors to say here are the types of things that we're looking for and here's what i've learned over time right because as the investment community becomes more professionalized, people are going to actually commit a lot of their time to being professional investors, even at the angel stage. And they'll want to commiserate and talk to other people that have already done it and that are starting to do it as well. I think that's really important. I want to share with the listeners something we haven't gone public yet with, but let's do this now. Uh, what we're going to do next year, and let's talk about the round tables because we have worked pretty hard in getting this format. We've tried a few of these under the radar and they've worked really well you know in that situation where we sat face to face in a room and we recorded the audio and we didn't publish this audio because this was purely for our own product development so this round table format in the context of this conversation and put that in also in the context of taking that on the road and going to these startup ecosystems in Asia rather than expecting them to come to us go and see take the studio with us to these cities in Asia and do these round tables. What kind of things can people expect? Because this is early days yet. We're excited. We've got, I'm sure there's going to be a lot more of us in January when we announce our partnerships and our launches. But let's give right. people, let's give the listeners a sneak preview of what we want to do in 2018. And that, I guess, gives them a, a, a stepping stone or a foot up if they want to get on board. Right. So where's it going to start? It's going to start with the conversation we've already been having today, and that's on the angel investment space, right? So I think whether you're an angel investor, whether you want to be an angel investor, whether you're just interested in the space, or whether you're a startup founder who wants to learn more about what it looks like from the other side, we're going to monthly get people together and talk about subjects that are relevant to angel investing. We hope that that format will be you know, two kind of moderators, but definitely one moderator and three or four other interested angel investors or people that are interested in the angel investment community and get them together monthly to talk about big picture problems and issues and just conversations, but also things that happened last week 
What do you, because we'll be able to organize these things very quickly, particularly with the partnerships that we're working on and that we'll announce in January. And that is having the best investors in the region sit around and, and every now and then maybe, you know, from outside, but unlikely, right? It's, it's in the name, Asia Tech Podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if anyone's thinking about investing in Asia from an angel perspective, we want to have those conversations with them and then publish them and have them be long form. And over time, what we'll do as well is, will record live and have people literally be able to participate in those conversations as they're going on, you know, from a substantive point of view. There's no trolling here. There's no, like, bad actors allowed. We can control that pretty easily. But we want to curate those conversations in a way that people can learn from them. Do you know what a term sheet is? Let's get the four experts on term sheets in there, right? In other words, they may not only be investors. We could have a startup lawyer in there. We could have a startup accountant in there. What do your books and records need to be like? You know, we could have the guys from Aegeus there, right, as well, saying, what does you really need to think about when you're starting up a plot, when you're starting up a business? I think that's important, right? So we get Dennis in the room and just say, I said his name, maybe I shouldn't have, but it doesn't matter. But get Dennis, it doesn't matter. He's I don't cool. Think Dennis, I don't think cool. Dennis is going to be mad. No. But we get Dennis in the room and we say, look, I've, I've set up my company or you're helping me set up my company. Now what do I need to think about? What does my paid up capital have to be? What happens when I expand? What is my, what does my cap table look like? What is the cap table? What happens when people, like having people in the room that just know, have the knowledge, right? And have no vested interest necessarily in your particular startup or in your angel investment answer those questions. I think that ends up being a really powerful thing. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's coming as well. And that's coming soon. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, to record those conversations and to sit four or five angel investors in a room or, you know, a, a mix, as you say, throw in an accountant specializing in startups, you know, somebody who services startups who maybe has a neutral perspective, but has a lot of stories to share and a lot of experience to bring to the table. Sit those guys and girls in a room and have a really meaningful conversation. You know, let's take that conversation where it needs to go. You know, if people want to share their successes and failures, that's great because that's what we want to learn, right? It's not necessarily just a walk through a list of bullet no. points, right? It's because, no, no, no. yeah, yeah, I had this experience with these, this startup in Singapore and I learned this and, you know, this worked and this didn't work. That's how people learn, isn't it? Through story. So if I want to learn about a term sheet, I want to learn what this investor had and with the experience and you know what she learned about that startup and you know how the cap table was all messed up and so on because when i hear it first person when i hear somebody talk about it through their experience i'll remember it and it will be meaningful for me right i mean this is the whole concept right is you can learn something through listening to somebody else tell their story, right? So if I say to you, never have a two times pref in your term sheet for one of your investors, you'll never remember what that means. But no. you'll definitely remember it when you hear the conversation of some guy say, yeah, my, we, we got out at flat. So we had $2 million of investment um, and we sold the company for $2 million. But what we didn't realize that was that one of our investors had two times preferences, which meant that they got twice their investment back first before anybody else got anything out. And that meant that all of our other investors weren't whole, but they lost a certain amount of their investment, even though yeah. we sold for what we were bought for. And it's like, you just need to know this. But the best way to tell those is with is through a story of somebody exactly. else's experience. And when, when that founder goes on to tell you how all the other investors lost out and the the heartache that went with that and how they burnt bridges all that 
you know, the, the, the emotional stuff that goes with telling a story, the, the, the consequences of that decision or that lack of information early on. That's how we remember, right? Those are the kind of things that we want to share. That's the, as well as the successes, more importantly, the successes as well. You know, what people have learned. Right. But creating that platform, which is what we're doing, where those right. types of things can be learned and told, coupled with, you know, regular interviews and regular conversations with angel investors over time, I think is going to really help professionalize the, that part of the industry. And if you consider that to be the top of the funnel, if that's where there's a big um, pain point and sticking point for investors and for startup companies, I think that's going to be really important. So in rounding up then, let's give people something to to visualize as we tell the story of what we want to achieve in 2018. Michael, let me ask you, and I'll share my thoughts on this as well. Paint a picture of a roundtable, your sort of dream roundtable. Let's put together, you know what people say, let's have that dinner conversation. Who are you going to, I'm going to have Gandhi, I'm going to have Martin Luther King and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking about a roundtable of founders because that's kind of, these are my people, right? I don't care about Gandhi and Martin Luther King. They're fine, but I don't want to have a conversation. I have the people who are doing really interesting stuff in my world, right? Who would you put on, without naming names, what kind of, companies what kind of people would you like to see depict to us paint for us if you will indulge us on what would be your dream round table for 2018 and what kind of subjects would you talk about well to start i'd want to have uh, first of all i want to have somebody that is really interested in educating startups and and um, angel investors in the entire region somebody has experience investing in startup companies online and offline somebody who's very experienced over time has made money, lost money, but overall has been very successful. So I'd like that person to participate. But second, I'd like to have an angel investor from from Singapore and from Jakarta and from Ho Chi Minh and from every city on a rotating basis participate in those conversations so we can get a different perspective. And I'd like to have diversity in there as well. So not just the same type of people. Pick whatever type of person you want. I'm not going to qualify what that is, but just a diverse group of angel investors from it, from the entire region participate in those conversations and then periodically i'd like to have a founder actually sit in on that conversation give the angel investors a perspective from the founder's side and say that's all really interesting but you realize if i give up 30 percent of my company like there's a big difference i know it sounds simple mathematically between giving up 30 percent at the earliest stage and 20 percent because it gives me a much bigger incentive than go out and build this thing to be huge and everybody makes more money. Do you want to own, you know, 30% of nothing or 20% of a billion dollar company? Up to you. But that's kind of what, and the other thing is I want to have people come back and come back and back because I think once you build that relationship, you can have much better conversations with people you know than with people you don't know. But that's going to take a period of time to do. So we're going to have tons of conversations with angel investors, both for, on an individual perspective and on a roundtable perspective. And that's kind of like, that's my dream scenario for what mm. this year is going to look like. No, that'll be an amazing conversation. How do you have that conversation without people point scoring? Because, you know, they know they're on tape. I don't know <clears> if I can use that word anymore, but they know they're on record. People are, the audio goes out there. How do you conduct that conversation so that shit can be like lots of people contributing to a bigger goal rather than uh, I want to sound great on record, right? I just think you set. I just think you set the record straight before you start. Is that this is not for to promote your yourself. This is mm. to let people know what it's like. What have your experiences been like? So either a they can come in and join you as a as a very professional angel investor, 
or you make the connectivity for the rest of the region so that the entire region is stronger when it comes to an angel investment perspective, right? And I think it just gets back to that word that we talked about all the way at the beginning is we're still at a stage where it's nascent and let's make it way more professional. And I think by getting the best people together to talk about what it, what makes a better ecosystem is going to help professionalize that stage of investing and I think that's part of the goal, too. And that's why people – you have to find the right people that have that perspective, and none of them are going to sort of get out of the box and do something bad. Yeah. The conversations we've had this year about getting out there into Asia, one thing that is a common theme between the successful founders and angel investors, and it's this, is that they're all keen about giving back. They're all keen about – putting back into the startup ecosystem that helped them, you know, for a bunch of different reasons. Ultimately it is, you know, a reason because they, they benefit from it. They, they feel a sense of, you know, that they're doing something good. They can see that tangibly. They can, you know, they're working with people who can take on their advice and they can grow. In a way, this is another way to give back, isn't it? It's that either successful investors and founders can help, get their experiences and tell their story and that story would be the seed planted in somebody's mind that makes them think about their startup or you know their investments and you know that's how we can create this platform and get those stories out there it's a key part of giving back and i think that's a consistent theme in this industry not to be overlooked right this is not just about sharing information but it's keeping that ecosystem growing right and that you know if you look at successful startup ecosystems in the world and everybody would you know without arguing would say silicon valley was is the model which everybody aspires to be more like there the whole idea of giving back and mentoring and advising is so core to that ecosystem it is. isn't it and that's kind it of is. what we want to repeat here and you know, take the best of what works there and you know give it an asian vibe i agree Cool, but I did say I know you you put your one out there. I just want to share one of the startup roundtables that I want to hold next year, twenty eighteen. Tell me, AI. I want to sit in the room. Uh, I won't name names, but you know some of these people will be on the show already. Some of these people are coming on the show. I want to put in that room people who are just doing stuff, and I'm sure this is the same with you and blockchain, but. Yep. Who are doing stuff in AI, which is just right off the, the chart. Not necessarily the most technical stuff, but the things you don't think about. I mean, people think about AI, they think about robotics. Yeah, fine. Or driving cars, you know, self-driving cars. Fine. I want to sit in that room, an AI investor, AI accelerator. I want to sit in that room, startup founders who do AI stuff that you wouldn't think about. Like, for example, training guide dogs. Like, for example, yeah. AI agriculture. You know, using AI to improve seed yield—the stuff you would think, "Wow, I never thought you could use AI for this, right?" Yeah. Put all and those guys the... in a room, and you're gonna have an amazing conversation. That's yeah. what I want. That's awesome. That's my one. So don't I can't steal wait that to be idea. there for that. I won't steal that. That's <laughs> yours. I just want to be in the room when that happens. <laughs> exactly. That is going to be a lot of fun. So those are just two snippets. Those are just two tasters, sound bites of what we want to do next year. Awesome. What do people do if they want to? get involved if they, if they like the idea of these round tables they like the sound of it then the best way they can reach out to us is how well i mean just come right to they can tweet us directly asia tech pod 
Yeah. Yep. Um, they can tweet me directly at Michael Waits. They can send me an email, mw at asiatechpodcast.com. I mean, there are tons of ways that people, and they can also, the best way to tell us what you think, and the most effective way to communicate at this point is to leave us a review on iTunes as well. Yeah, let us know. asiatechpodcast.com. All the information will be in there. As we approach the end of the year, we'll be sharing more details about our travels for 2018. We look forward to seeing you in a city somewhere in Asia. And if you're listening somewhere in Asia or even outside of Asia, we have a lot of listeners outside of Asia. Let us know what you think. Leave a review on iTunes. The links are on asiatechpodcast.com slash iTunes. You can go and find the links to the respective shows. You don't just... Um, have the main podcast you have all the different verticals in there such as ai cryptocurrency and a lot more coming out as well go and check out what we're offering on asia tech podcast looking forward to seeing you hearing from you at a future show my name is graham brown joined tonight by michael waits michael thank you very much thank you and we'll see you all next week you've been listening to asia tech podcast find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com